It's a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name is Reverend Wynn Henderson. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio internet talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 24 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. Today, we're going to talk about empathic sensitivities. Our guest is Alicia McBride. She is a leading voice for empaths today. She's an internationally best-selling author of I Feel Too Much, a How to Guide for the Beginner Empath, and The Empath Effect, Powerful Stories of Love, Courage, and Transformation. An empath and healer, she holds a BA degree in psychology and is a Rocky master and a certified yoga instructor. We're going to enjoy her authentic perspective today on how to help empaths and other highly sensitive people understand how to use their gifts and navigate in this world. Alicia, it's nice to have you on the program today. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. Um, you have two really good books, and mm-hmm. I didn't read every word, but I read a lot of them. <laughs> and um, so let's start by asking you uh, some questions. What is an empath? Good question. So an empath is someone who takes empathy to the next level. An empath can feel what other people what other people feel inside of their own bodies as if it were theirs. So if you're feeling sad, I feel sad. If you're feeling happy, I feel happy. If you have a physical pain, I could feel your physical pain inside my body as if it were mine. Um, this causes a lot of trouble when you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> And when you when you don't realize that you're doing it, you're taking on other people's emotions and physical pain, and um, that is kind of the hallmark of of what an empath is, taking on other people's feelings and emotions and physical pains. Well, uh, taking people's um, uh, pain and, and physical and psychological type feelings and everything is sometimes just what a person who is uh, empathetic does is being an empath with quotes around it different or is it uh, more more sensitivity or is it what what's the difference between just em- empathizing with somebody when you empathize with someone, you feel for them. You know, you can kind of put yourself in their shoes. You you mostly understand where they're coming from. Um, an empath 
takes that to a deeper level where an empath feels um, exactly what you feel. So not only can an empath empathize with you, you know, put, put themselves in their, in your shoes, but an empath can feel exactly what you're feeling as if, as if it had happened to them, as if your life experience had happened to them. Well, does this it's a little deeper? Does this just sneak up on a person? How do you know <laughs> if you're an empath? So I actually believe that we're born this way. That empaths and sensitive people are are born this way. It's in our genetic code. It's what we're made of. It's how we're made. Um, I uh, I think that that's why we're put here on Earth. Is you know our our mission is to help help other people, help, help enlighten other people. Um, so I think that we're born this way. I completely acknowledge that most people go most of their lives without knowing that they're an empath or without knowing or without understanding that they're really sensitive. Um, people may call you too sensitive. That was a hallmark trait for me is, you know, everybody said, oh, you're just too sensitive. Well, yeah, I am too sensitive, but there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> let's let's try to figure out why I'm too sensitive and what how I can handle my sensitivity and how you can help me better handle my sensitivity by respecting, you know, my boundaries and my sensitivities as well. It's a two-way street. So, if you were talking to a person and um you said I I think you're a very sensitive person, maybe too sensitive. Um, what are they going to say back to you on the average? And should you carry it farther at that point and try to get them into a belief that they're an empath? Well, me personally, I I would talk to someone and say, hey, like, do you understand that you're sensitive? Do you under Have you ever heard the word empath? Most people have never heard the word empath. And they have no idea what I'm talking about, which is why we're here. It's why you and I are here, <laughs> so, so we can be more aware. Um, so I would ask them if they've ever heard the word empath, um, and and I would try to gently explain, you know, that an empath is a very sensitive person who feels what other people feel, and um, I would see if they kind of fit into that into that category by having a conversation with them. Have you actually done that to to people before that you ran into at the grocery store or, or other places? Yes, I have. Uh, yeah. And, um, not like completely randomly in the grocery store, but people that I've met and I've talked to, I've told a lot of my friends that you're, you know, hey, you're an empath. You know that, right? <laughs> so if I'm really close to you, I'll just come right out with it. Like, you know, you're an empath. This is what I do. Here, here, here let me help you out. So, um, if it's somebody that I don't really know, I'll be a little more sensitive about it. Yeah. So um, you said you think that this is your purpose in life. Yeah. Um, okay, so I understand that you feel what other people feel. Now, when you get these feelings... What do you do about it? 
so in the beginning, before you're aware, you get these feelings and you collect them. And you collect everybody's feelings. You collect all of their emotions. You collect all of their pain. Um, you could collect happy things too. Um, but it, it, you collect it and you keep it. So it's, it's like stuck to your energy. Um, it, it's kind of stuck on you. Um, and in the beginning, that's very overwhelming. And that is how you end up a mess. You're overwhelmed. You're depressed. You're anxious. You have chronic fatigue. Um, you suffer from addictions. Um, you, you turn to addictive behavior um, because you want to numb the pain that you've been feeling. Uh, you turn to uh, a lot of empaths are uh, like anorexic or bulimic. You turn to those things because it's the only thing that you can control in your life. Um, so that's kind of what it looks like in the beginning. And then, you know, you're kind of a mess, but afterwards, if you're, as you're learning to heal and you're recovering and you're, um, going through your healing process, you're walking down the path that you're supposed to be on. Um, it gets a lot easier and you learn to ground your energy. You learn to protect or shield your energy. You learn to get in touch with your own energy so that you know the difference between yours and someone else's. You become an empowered empath. Um, and that's, Before we get that's into, my job. Uh, uh, you, you were talking about because of the way that you might feel, you might develop an addiction. Is that what yeah. you said? Yeah. Would that be any of the 30 different addictions or just certain ones? Um, I can't speak for all of them, but uh, I think just the addictive behavior in general um, is a an easy way for someone to cope um, and numb the pain and not feel everything they're feeling because empaths have a lot of feelings. Um, not only do they feel... I believe that an empath's capacity for love is the greatest, like the greatest depth of feeling, the greatest depth of love, the greatest capacity. Um, and when you're feeling all of those feelings, plus you've collected everyone else's feelings, you you turn to something to make it go away, and that and that ends up being an addiction of some kind. Um. Well, if you say there's a correlation between being an empath and loving other people, is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Uh, what is bad, scary, or makes a person fearful of that when that's ultimately what we're put here on the planet to do? Hmm. Um, I would say putting yourself out there and loving, learning to love yourself and loving others and accepting them for who they are. I think that in general is scary. Um, I think it is scary and it's something that you work through as, as either an empath or a sensitive person or, um, you know, 
a, a regular person. It's something that you learning to love yourself and others is something that you work through. How do you define love? There's so many different definitions of the word love, but how do you define it within the text of what you're talking and writing about? Mm, I would say there's a, a lot of different levels of love. So when you when you meet someone and you create a connection, you have some kind of level of love for them. Like, you know, you respect them, they're a nice, they're, you know, you've deemed them a good person. Um, you have some kind of, like, baseline love for them. And then if, you know, someone is your close friend, you have a higher level of love for them. And then, you know, onward and, you know, someone you're romantically involved with, the the level of love jumps up even higher. And then, of course, your significant other, your life partner, whoever you've chosen to be with, um, that level of love is is up even higher. Um, and then I, I believe the highest level of love um, is when you connect to yourself and your source, whatever divine power that you believe in, um, when you're connecting to yourself and to the divine power, that's an intense, an intense level of love. What do you think about people talking about love at first sight? What do they mean? What are they feeling with respect to the different kinds of love? And uh, how likely is that to go on to a higher level, a more constant love? I love love at first sight. I love love. <laughs> Let's be serious. I love love. <laughs> Um, love at first sight is fascinating to me. Um, I I think that most of the time when you experience love at first sight, what you're experiencing is um, meeting a soul that you have been with in a previous life. So this is a past life remembering of this person. And when your eyes connect or your lips connect, or your hands connect, when you when you connect with this person in some way in this life right here, right now, you, you immediately love them because you remember, like your soul remembers their soul from a past life, and you, you don't, maybe, maybe you don't remember all the details, or, you know, you, you know nothing else about this person's past life, or your past life, but that powerful instant connection, I believe, is a remembering from a past life together. So you believe in soul reincarnation? Yes, I do. And other than the fact that you just believe in it, do you have any scientific basis for that? Scientific? No. <laughs> but I do have experiences um, I remember some of my past lives. I get psychic visions frequently, um, just in general. They come to me. Things come to me. Um, and some of it is a past life experience. Sometimes I'll get a psychic vision, and I'm not sure whether that's going to happen to me like in the future in this life or it's something that did happen to me already in a past life, and then I have to kind of figure it out. <laughs> um, so that's that's interesting. Um, but I've I've also been through like past life regression workshops 
which I loved, um, where the the past life regression specialist takes you um, in through a meditation where you visit your past lives. And I've done that many times. Um, I've had great experiences every time. Um, so I've gotten to know myself in past lives. And, and I think that helps you understand kind of why you do the things that you do in this life, why you've chosen the things that you've chosen in this life. Because, you know, whatever happened to you in a past life is still affecting you. Well, as far as your past lives, what have you done or been? Have you been the Queen of Sheba? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, I, one of my past lives, I remember I was a man and some kind of warrior, um, and I had a son who is actually my son currently in this life. Um, and I remember us being on the battlefield together, and I remember us being in a in a home together, uh, some kind of, I think it was in, like, the Nordic period, um, 13th century-ish. Um, it's just kind of the feeling that I got, the vibe that I got from the memory. Um, super, super interesting. So from that, you would say, I can empathically... Um, find things in my son that came from the fact that we previously knew each other. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Sure. I could, yeah. And has that been the only current person on the planet that you've had that experience with, or have you had it? Oh, no. I've had lots of experience with lots of other people. I would say most of my friends are empaths, and a lot of people in my life are my soul family. Um, soul family is someone that you are connected with, um, and you've spent maybe many life, lifetimes together. Um, both of my sons I have spent lifetimes with previously. Um, some of my friends I have spent lifetimes with previously. Some, some of my friends who aren't close friends, um, they're just kind of in they're you know, they're in my life. I have a strong connection with them. I know I've spent, uh, you know, at least one, one or more lives with them previously. Uh, so I think, I think once you get in touch with your energy and you accept yourself for who you are, you kind of walk this path and you collect people, um, that you are meant to be with and your soul family kind of shows up in your life. Um, your soul family, you could have many soul, I, I believe in many soulmates. Um, so your, your soul family, it kind of sticks with you or, you know, throughout your life or can come and go and in tough periods in your life, you know, they were meant to be with you at this time in your life. And, and then they, they leave your life for some, for some other reason. Um, but I think once you start walking your path, your soul family just finds you. I saw a question on your media sheet, mm -hmm. and it was, is being an empath your superpower? What is superpower? Is that a legitimate thing, or is it just something that you like to go to the movies and look at? <laughs> well... Um, I actually think a lot of the things that come out of people's imaginations uh, who who write movies 
have had some kind of metaphysical experiences or, you know, what you see in movies is kind of based in people like right here, right now, metaphysical experiences on earth. Um, it's just exaggerated for the movie, <laughs> for the movies to make it more exciting. Um, but I do, I think being an empath is a superpower. Uh, lots of empaths have many psychic gifts. Um, I think being psychic is a superpower. You know, it gives you, uh, sometimes it's very confusing and sometimes it's very overwhelming, but it can also be very helpful. Um, many years ago, my son was very small and he's still small, but <laughs> he was even, even littler then. Um, I had a vision that, uh, he was going to get hurt in doing this thing. Um, and I, I could have prevented that from happening and I didn't trust the vision. And I was like, no, you know, I, to I totally dismissed it. I ignored the vision completely. And he did, he got, he got, he, he fell and he bumped his lip and he, you know, he cried a whole bunch and hurt his lip. Um, so that was a good lesson for me that I could have prevented that from happening. But then if you do prevent it from happening, you wonder, like, is the thing that I saw in my head true? Like, did I actually prevent it from happening since it didn't happen? Or was was it really going to happen? But I know I know for sure that time it did happen. I saw it in my head, and it happened exactly how I saw it because I did nothing to prevent it. <laughs> is the vision that you're talking about, yeah. uh, is it the same as a person's intuition? Hmm. So I, I believe they are strongly related. Um, when you get in touch with your intuition, I think it opens you to a world of possibilities psychically. Um, I think most people have the ability to become psychic. Um, I think especially sensitive people and empaths who are very in tune to energy um, can develop those gifts easily. Um, some gifts are you know, stronger than others, like hearing, seeing, smelling, touching, uh, feeling, knowing. Sometimes you just know. You don't know how you know. Sometimes you just know. So the, the gift can come to you in many different ways, in whatever way that you're most attached to. Um, so I think... Um, Do those ways include dreams? Sure. Mm -hmm. I think in the beginning, especially um, when your higher power or spirit or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, God, it, when God is communicating with you, uh, is an easy way to do it is through your dreams. So, like, one of the first ways that you're aware that you're psychic is through your dreams. So, do you know my backstory? No. Well, in 1990, I uh, was in a difficult situation, and I cried out to God to tell me why I was here. As I remember, that was exactly what I said. Why am I here? Now, that could be evaluated more than one way, but during a dream, God identified himself and said to me, the reason you are here is because I have a book that I want you to write. And I believe that you're qualified in all 
whole ways to write it. And if you will write it under my direction, uh, I'll promise you three things and um, three prophecies of which all three of those prophecies came true, even though they're very, very difficult to see how that could happen if it wasn't a psychic experience with God. And so from that experience, my whole life the next morning changed in that I was bent on producing this book that God told me to write it, and I even knew what he wanted me to write. Um, took two years to do it, but uh, it got done and everything. And then after that, I've been involved with trying to live out that book to help other people for the last, I guess it's been about 30 years now. And um, so I think for my particular case, I can very much appreciate metaphysical thoughts and mm -hmm. um, how it can change your life for the better. And regardless of how you get this instruction or where you get it or all the imponderables about the situation, if something like that happens to you, I believe that you should embrace it and run with it. That's my own personal thoughts. I totally agree. The more you follow your intuition or God or spirit, whatever you're getting your direction from, the more you follow through, the more it will happen to you, and the more aligned, soul aligned you will be. And it's, it's a beautiful experience. Is your life a thousand times better since you had that experience and wrote the book and followed through? Oh, yeah. yeah. It, uh, it was such a remarkable transformation that if it hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have believed it. <laughs> you know, if somebody else came up, told my story, I'd say, oh, come on, you're just putting me on, aren't you? <laughs> At any rate, uh, everybody that's listening today, you can find out what that experience was all about by reading my book, Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message. And I think it's chapter 15, but don't hold me to that because I've got a lot of stuff in my brain that I can't remember exactly. Um, now, you talked about energy. And mm -hmm. I know that empaths deal with energy fields. Um, mm -hmm. So what what is the difference between your energy and another person's energy? How to feel the difference or? Or just, you know, however that comes to your mind, uh, talking about energy between people. Well, your energy is attached to you in some way. It's tethered to you. You can reach out with your energy and you can make it go places, and that's how people astral travel. Um, you can project your energy onto other people, so if you're happy, you can make other people happy. Um, uh, but your energy is attached to you in some way, and just the same way with everyone else. Everyone else's energy is attached to them in some way. 
Um, and when, you know, when you're unaware, you take on bits of other people's energies and you kind of keep it collected as yours, which is why it's important to clean your energy, and, you know, wash it away and let it go. Um, uh, how to tell the difference between your energy and someone else's, uh, you have to get in touch with your own energy. Um, I would recommend sitting quietly with your eyes closed and maybe one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, and just feeling your own body, feeling it breathe, feeling your energy. Um, there's also other ways to acknowledge your energy. You might be able to hear it or see it. Lots of people can see auras. So maybe you see your energy as a specific color or shape. You can see it that way too. Um, so in whatever way that you're connected with, hear it, see it, feel it, know it, um, connect with your energy as you're sitting quietly with your eyes closed, connect to it in some way. And the more often you do that, um, the easier it will be to be able to tell your energy from someone else's. That way when someone else's energy comes at you, like they're having a really bad day and it, you can tell, you know, they're they're a mess and they're having a bad day and they want to dump their energy all over you, you you can say, oh, no, this is their energy. You stay over there. I'm going to stay over here inside my own energy and we're just going to leave it leave it at that. Like you, you stay over there with all your, with all your mess. Yeah. Well, when you talk about astro, uh, astro travel, mm -hmm. I was thinking when gas went over $4 and a half a gallon, <laughs> I wanted to learn astro travel so that I could get to the grocery store. That's right. I doubt if that's going to happen, but a way of doing that, uh, we should let me know. And if you can physically pick up things while you're astral traveling, kudos to you. Please teach me how to do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, you have written two books that I have read, I Feel Too Much, mm -hmm. Up to God for the Beginning Empath, and The Empath Effect. Powerful Stories of Love, Courage, and Transformation. Mm -hmm. The people that are listening today get a copy. Sure. They can get a copy from Amazon or Books A Million. Okay. Do you want them to go to your website? Yes. Um, so my website is healinglightempath.com, and all of my information is on the website. You can find me. You can find the books. You can find classes, online classes. I offer intuitive mentor sessions. Fantastic. Anything that you want is on my website. And once again, that's healinglightempath.com. Yep. Okay. Let's go and take a um, piece of your book, The Empath Effect. Do you remember mm -hmm. this story that had to do with narcissism? Yes. If you've got that, could you turn to that that page and read that for me? Sure. Uh, would you like me to read the whole story? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so this is Michelle's story from The Empath Effect, Powerful Stories of Love, Courage, and Transformation. Her story is called 
Narcissist Meet Empath, A Story of Growth by Michelle Bird. And her article goes, you might see the title and think to yourself, ah, yet another stereotypical story about an empath falling in love with a narcissist. You're more than likely right. Or you might see the true beauty in the story and take it as a sign of strength and hope for all empaths currently stuck in this situation. Empaths attract narcissists. Bottom line. They, the empath, will try to change narcissists and try to manipulate the situation by thinking it's a healthy and loving relationship. The empath normally finds strength after being broken down in every single sense of the word. My story is one of growth, resilience, strength, and more importantly, self-love. I grew up in a broken home and with a load of childhood trauma ranging uh, from witnessing the effects of substance abuse to being sexually molested for several years. These life experiences helped me grow, and I give them gratitude. They also showed me from a young age that I am a feeler. I can feel everyone around me, and I'm sensitive to the world around me. Imagine being eight years old and holding your father as he cries in your arms, taking his emotions and your emotions as you process the fact that you're holding your father as he's crying, and now add in feeling your, your own father's sadness and fear. I knew from a young age, even before that monumental moment, that I was an empath. I cried at everything. People picking flowers because the flowers had feelings, trees being cut down to build new structures and roadways, and simply seeing other people cry. Being an empath is a gift and should not be tucked away or taken advantage of. And narcissists know how to take advantage of empaths. The summer before my freshman year of college, I met my narcissist. The fun part about my story is that he was open and honest with me about being a clinically diagnosed narcissist. Did I see those red flags? Of course not. I don't even know what that means, but whatever that is, I can change him. Almost six and a half years later, I'm sitting here writing this story about how I could not change him. But I could step into my power and recognize my worth enough to remove myself from the situation. Narcissists like to love bomb and go way too hard, way too fast. An empath will eat that up like we are children who hit the candy jackpot in our trick-or-treat bags. For me, it's the Butterfingers. I could write an entire book on the warning signs and the experiences I went through, but it's important to know that no matter how bad it gets, you are worthy, and you can leave. I will share snippets of my story to show the highs and lows, but also to prove that it does get better and you will be free. I was abused in every sense of the word. I came out of that relationship with so much more strength because I was free to be myself, and I found who I was truly destined to be. As any relationship with a narcissist goes, there are highs, lows, and it can drastically switch from one end of the spectrum to the other in a matter of seconds. Being in a relationship with a diagnosed narcissist meant justifying behaviors such as being screamed at for forgetting to buy the right brand of pasta sauce or not wanting to do the dishes because it was a long day at work. One time, I was screamed at and made to feel so small because I had decided to clean at an hour that was not feasible for his schedule. He would play video games with his friends, and I would be left to clean up after him. I was constantly throwing away his trash because he would just let it sit there and expect me to do something about it. Then I would do something about it, and he would yell at me for doing something about it. This was the relationship for six and a half years. When I would stand up for myself, he would berate me and tell me how he was there for me when my father died and how he, he was financially supporting me, and I couldn't live without him. These moments occurred far more often than I care to admit. 
As an empath, I took on his rage and felt it as disappointment, so I strived to do better. It takes so much strength and self-love to break this cycle, but when it's finally broken, it's so freeing. One thing to note with narcissists is their ability to make a scene about a minor inconvenience you have caused them. My relationship was so controlled that I worked at the same place in the same area as him. When I took a new job, making more money and giving more freedom with the scheduling, he wanted to do nothing more than control me. My actions became his problems, and he was determined to change this. As a, revol- as a result of this controlling behavior, he decided he would try to incite pity from me in hopes of changing my mind. He cried and put on a show, hoping I wouldn't take the offer. And when that didn't work, the real narcissistic manipulative behaviors began. He took a steak knife, left it in, left in his car, and didn't come back for hours. I knew that if I played along, he would have won. So I stayed silent and didn't call or text. I think I watched a movie, to be honest with you. He came home to tell me his plan. He was planning to slit his throat and drive into a pole just to end his life because life was getting too hard. This is the epitome of narcissistic behavior, and I did not play into it, which led to more and more attempts at manipulations. At this point, I was noticing these behaviors and taking my power back. He was fighting for any chance to manipulate me again, and I did not play into it. I took my power back, and that was only the beginning of discovering my self-worth and my own freedom. I learned how great that feeling was, and I needed to feel it again and again. When I finally decided it was time to leave, he punched a wall, broke his hand, and called me all sorts of names. I'd just gotten out of the shower and felt like I needed to do it in that moment, or I would never be able to leave. I broke up with him completely naked with my hair dripping wet. It took me several hours to get him out of my apartment, and when I did, I could do nothing but cry. I was finally free. I collapsed on my bathroom floor and uncontrollably cried. I FaceTimed my mom, and all I could do was continuously spit out, I'm free. At last, I was able to see and love myself enough to know I deserve to be treated well. The feelings of loving myself and taking my power back are the absolute best feelings in the world. Discovering your worth and learning to love yourself again after recognizing and making the decision to no longer be with a narcissist is a wonderful feeling. It's hysterically crying on your bathroom floor, completely naked and wrapped in a towel while FaceTiming your mom and repeatedly saying, I'm free. It's laughing to yourself as you help pack his car because he shattered his hand when he decided to punch the wall and blame it on you. It's taking back your freedom and establishing a new sense of self-love that nobody can penetrate because you, my dear empath, you are worthy and perfect just the way you are. Oh, that's a great story. And how many stories do you have in that book? 22. 22 stories. So if you like that story, get that book because it's just chock full of good stories. Now, why did I ask you to read that story? Good question. Uh, I'm going to give you the answer. (laughs) Back 20 years ago... I don't know, it might have been 30. I ran into a um, narcissist. Mm-hmm. And during that relationship, sometimes she would convince me that it was night outside, but it was 10 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Narcissists are great liars. Yes, they are. And if you catch them in a lie, their response will be, 
oh, I'm so sorry, I'll never do it again. And mm-hmm. that, until the next time, they do it again. Yep. And they're very manipulative. They only want what's best for themselves, and they mm-hmm. don't care about anybody else. Nope. That relationship cost me $1.75 million. I'm and so sorry. As a result of that, I decided I never wanted to be in a relationship with a narcissist again. And my nope. tip and my advice to you, and you should study what is a narcissist, but when you find out that you're in a relationship with a narcissist, there's only one thing that works, and that is get away from them as quickly as possible and go as far as possible. Nothing else that you can do and try to do will work. And I've heard so many stories about people that try this, that, and the other, and it never works. Um, Being a narcissist is an addiction that's the hardest to cure. And the reason is because they don't think there's anything wrong with them. They think it's the other people that have something wrong with them. Everyone else is to blame. Exactly. And if you won't take personal responsibility for your addictive behaviors, you'll never be able to get free of them. So that's what I learned, and uh, I I think that was a great example from your book, and I think people ought to get it. Now, in the other book, I feel too much. Mm Mm-hmm. What is the top thing that you provide to the reader in that book that's going to help them? It is the feeling or the knowledge that you are not alone. Um, A lot of people like I feel too much because I wrote it as if I am right there with you. I am sitting next to you. I am in your head. I am telling you all of these wonderful things and sharing all of this beautiful knowledge right there with you. Um, you are not alone, and you can do this. You can change. You can heal. You can be free. You can let go. You can do all of that, and you are not alone. Well, Alicia, I think that you've got a talent and a and a mission and I honor the work that you're doing and hope that you continue to do it because it's very important and uh, I hope our listeners will get those two books and study them um, your um, email is healinglightempath at gmail in case you've got a question Absolutely. Um, Can you think of anything else that you would like to tell before we wrap it up? I'd like you to know that there's nothing wrong with you. That you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not too sensitive in the negative way. There's nothing wrong with you. And you're not alone. Okay. And uh, if you feel alone, uh, go over to... uh, Alicia's website or send her an email. My mission or purpose in life is to spread the message that there is a cure for every addictive behavior. 
Now, this is a spiritual cure, and the treatment program is profiled in my book, Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message, which you can get as a Kindle on Amazon today, but maybe in a few days, a week or so, you could actually get a softback copy that you could hold in your hand. I have three free resources to start your journey. The first is a link to this podcast, which is freedomfromaddiction.libsyn.com. No spaces, no capitals, and spell Libsyn, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. The second is a link to my website, where you can find out more about my work with addiction. Go to www.revwinhendersonmd.com. And the final resource I have for you is my Twitter account. Search at Hugo the Artist on Twitter.com. There you will find over 2,000 inspirational and educational daily pearls of wisdom. And I hope the best life for you. And if you uh, think about what Alicia has said today and think about what I've said, you're going to get a better life out of the out of the mix. Uh, Alicia, thank you very much for being on. Thank a- you so much. Thank you so much.